Good evening. We are at the first Monday of the month, and of course that is Radio Book Club at KZMU, 5 o'clock every Monday, first Monday of the month. I'm sitting here as one of your hosts, Sherry Zollinger, coming in from Back at Beyond Books. And I am joined this evening in the studio. Of course, we are live. I'm joined by Jesse from Grand County Public Library. Hello, Jesse. Good evening, everyone. And of course, we've got Sam again from Back of Beyond Books. Sam, welcome. Hello. Good to have both of you here. It's a nice hot day. Hopefully, there'll be some hot picks <laughs> today, <laughs> some hot titles. Um, like I said, you're listening to KZMU Radio Book Club. We're excited to be here talking books, talking uh, events, things that are happening at the bookstore, at the library, coming to share, as we always do, books we love, reviews, and just general all-around banter that comes from book knowledge. <laughs> I may not be putting y'all on the spot today. I just couldn't think of some on-the-spot things, so you might get a reprieve from my trivia. <laughs> Unless I think of something right right on the spot, you'll, you'll get a reprieve. You don't have to be too worried today that I'm going to give you a test on anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or we could further discuss ones that we've discussed in the past. Exactly. I still haven't been able to think of a movie that I liked better than the book. Really? Mm -mm. <laughs> Interesting. Do you, does something come okay. up for you, Sam, at all, movie-wise? A movie that's better than the book? Yeah. I'll think about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing right away. <laughs> there are plenty of movies that I liked well enough that I'm like, I don't n need to read the book now. Yeah. That's definitely happened. There was one very clear one for me. It's probably the only one. I think I mentioned it at that, that time. It was Razor's Edge by Somerset right. Mom. Mm -hmm. And the, I just loved the movie. I mean, I did actually, in that case, see the movie first. Uh, it's, a, it's an older film. And then read the book. And, and usually in that case, of course, the book is always better. It feels every, fills everything out. But in this case, it just was not. I mean, which... Yeah, I guess that's the way of things every once in a while with a, a movie. Okay, well, let's go ahead and we like to start off with news from the library and from the bookstore. Um, let's start off with Sam. Sam, is there anything that you want to mention that's going on at the bookstore at all? I've got a few things I can mention. Um, not a whole lot. Yeah. We're, we're saying happy pride in the book store mm -hmm. of course pride doesn't happen in moab until september when it's a little more reasonable mm -hmm. to be parading about yeah um but but yeah we are glad to see tourists coming through yeah and uh the weather's getting hotter and you can yep. always find a little break from the heat inside our bookstore so come visit absolutely people are walking out with stacks <laughs> stacks and stacks uh jesse you always bring us such wonderful things from the library. <laughs> what is going on there right well, now? Well, the library is really excited. Um, we just this week started our, or wait, last Monday, I guess. We started, started our summer reading challenges for all ages. There are four different reading challenges tailored to um, little babies and toddlers. And there's one for children, one for teenagers, and one for adults. And... Um, 
these are really fun ways to um, track what you're reading and and get lots of fun reading incentives and prizes and tickets for prize drawings as you go. There's always lots of good reasons to read and we've got, we've added some more. Um, you can find out uh, information about how to join our reading programs by going to moablibrary.org and you'll see right on our front page several links. Um, or you can just go to the web and type in tinyurl dot com slash gcpl read that's tinyurl.com slash gcpl read to join our fun summer reading challenges uh, one other thing that is new at the library is we have expanded the hours um, that you can come make an appointment to be in the library formerly we had um, stopped at 5 p.m but we are gearing, gearing up slowly, and now uh, we can have um, take appointments for folks to use computers or come browse the shelves uh, anytime between 9 a.m. and 8 p.m. on weekdays and 9 to 5 on Saturdays. And as soon as Grand County um, lifts the mask mandate that is for all county facilities, the library is now looking to, uh, we'll be able to open completely. So it wow. seems like that is coming up soon. We're really, really excited about two new staff members. We um, just welcomed Sarah and Amy on board. And um, now once those gals are fully up to speed, um, we'll finally be staffed enough to even consider opening the doors. So this is all very exciting progress. And um, the, for the moment, that is what we're excited about at the library. Excellent. And thank you for the uh, extra masks we got from you last week. Mm -hmm, sure. <laughs> it was great. Um, so we have actually, I'm going to give a small review, and I'll do that in just a second. But um, we had an event last week, last Thursday, with Kat Wilder. Her book, Desert Chrome, Water, A Woman, and Wild Horses in the West. So I'm going to, I mean, I'm... I hesitated to talk about that after the fact, but it was it was a great conversation, and I really do want to do another little plug for uh, this book, her book, coming out uh, through Tory House Press, beloved press out of Salt Lake City that we we have a lot of connection with. Of course, we um, carry all of their books. And also, just a heads up, we're actually co-sponsoring with the Canyonlands Field Institute uh, a, a kind of writing and hiking or writing and walking or writing and going, writing, reading and going out into the, out into nature. There's a little event series called Written Adventures. Allison over there has been spearheading this and we have been co-sponsoring. So this Saturday, they're doing what's called journaling jaunts. And, and every one of these are kind of a different, um, they, you know, it might be reading, it might be writing. And this is called journaling jaunt with Grizel. It's in the LaSalle Mountains, June 12th, 2021, 1 to 6 p.m. And for more information, of course, just go ahead and get on cfimoab.org. Um, it's basically this. Um, they're saying, let's escape the heat and focus on our mental health in the mountains. This is the second event in our written adventure series in partnership, of course, with us, Back Beyond. 
this fundraiser is a great way to give back to our community by supporting a local bookstore as we build our field camp library. Uh, Joining us on this Saturday is Grizel Caminas, who is a local mental health advocate. Grizel's excited to help us create a space to connect to ourselves, each other, and nature. So that interests you. They're excited to see more people sign up for this and head up into where it is actually cooler. um, I have friends that just start to go camp up up in the La Salle's about now. <laughs> I was up there yesterday. Were you? And it, it's, yeah. it's a totally different world. Yeah. It's wet and green and <laughs> the air's cool. <laughs> There's flowers. We had a very pleasant time up there yeah. before I came back down into the desert. So, yeah, join yeah. us next weekend for that event. Yeah, absolutely. And so there we have some uh, news from the bookstore and library. And let's kind of just head on over to the indie bestseller list. Is there anything there that I know that, um, Sam, you've got, you've got a book, I think that's on there. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's not on the indie bestseller. Oh, yes, you do. Um, that Notes on Grief. It's actually on the nonfiction hardcover bestseller list. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so would you be want to be on the spot here and give us a little like sense for what kind of a book that is and, and why, what you like about it? And sure, yeah. yeah. The, the books I brought, brought in today, I was going off the theme of little books, physically small books. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and it's sort of a trend in publishing right now to uh, create these freestanding small books that might slip well into your pocket. I think that's what um, Chamanda Ngozi Adichie was working on doing with this this little book, Notes on Grief. It originally appeared, or concurrently with its publishing, appeared in The New Yorker as a, as a long-form piece of narrative nonfiction. Um, it's stunning. It's about uh, her father's death, her father who lived in, in Africa and, and her siblings who were spread across the globe. Um, some folks have written about it as a book about a COVID death that wasn't a death from COVID. Um, so very much the experience of how to grieve a family member through great spaces, both physical and emotional. Um, her father died in Africa in November of 2020, and she, along with her siblings, were spread across the globe and had no no great way to convene and to mourn. Um, and so what follows is this lovely little book that is about grief and it's about family and it's about a world in crisis. Uh, even when the crisis at your own hand seems like the most important thing in the world, how to, how to hold space for whatever and else around you is enduring. Um, and, and I, I love her writing. She's, she's written a few of these little books that, mm-hmm. that serve as kind of a primer or a, or a pocket reference for different topics. She's written extensively on feminism um, and on and on black liberation in the United States and internationally. Um, but this is sort of the first work of hers that I've read where she becomes uh, speechless, where she loses words. Uh, and, and the process of reading that really, really was touching to me and um, I think expanded my view of her as a writer. So um, a favorite quote, quote from there. Uh, in a lot of the chapters start this way. She's she's describing what she's feeling. And here she says, Grief is not gauzy. It is substantial, oppressive, a thing opaque. Uh, 
Mm. And it's uh it's throughout the throughout this little book she really realizes that grief and it it feels tangible within these pages. Yeah, I love that I love the size. Uh you can it's almost like you can collect those. I think there's four that she has out so far, really that same size. Um and you know that it's just um her voice is strong right now. It is. And has been actually. Thanks, Sam. And, of course, that is currently on our indie bestseller list. We like to let everyone kind of get a sense for, you know, what the indie bestseller list is, um, what's kind of happening on that list. It's a collection of our indie indie bookstores out there in the country bringing this list together. And that is number, I think it's number 15, actually, yeah. or 14. Um, on the bestseller list of, with nonfiction right now. And, and s- of course, uh, w- I think we tell you this every week, but Braiding Sweetgrass just, mm-hmm. wait, is it? Oh, yeah, no, that's the that's the um, paperback. That's number one, has been number one on nonfiction for I don't even know how long. Um, Jesse, anything on those lists jump out to you? Well, a book I haven't read yet, uh-huh. in fact, just bought for... Um, for the library is one I'm really curious about. And it sounds amazing. It's called The Madhouse at the End of the Earth. Mm. And I'm probably going to mispronounce the title of this uh, this ship, but it's the Bel- Belgica, Belgica, mm-hmm. B-E-L-G-I-C-A. The Belgica's, no, it's got to be Belgica. Belgica just doesn't sound right. <laughs> Belgica's journey into <laughs> the dark Antarctic <laughs> night. And um, this is a historical account of... Um, uh, a sh- in ni- 1897, um, a, sh- a young Belgian commandant, Adrian Dergelache, set sail for a three-year expedition um, with dreams of glory to his destination was the uncharted end of the earth, icy continent of Antarctica. But their plans go awry swiftly. Um, eventually, they're faced with the choice of turning back in defeat sparing his men the devastating Antarctic winter or recklessly chasing fame by sailing deeper into freezing waters. And uh, he chose to sail on, and they were soon stuck fast in the icy hold of uh, the sea. The sun says here, when the sun set on the magnificent polar landscape one last time, the ship's occupants were condemned to months of endless night. In the darkness, plagued by a mysterious illness and besieged by monotony, they descended into madness. <laughs> um, the description goes on, and it sounds very intriguing. And um, all, the reviews all say that it's just exceptionally well-written and fascinating. So I would recommend that to anyone who enjoys, um, you know, uh, seafaring uh, books and stories the madhouse at the end of the earth uh, this is by julian sancton the library has a copy and i'm sure the bookstore could accommodate that request as well so i Absolutely. am intrigued by this one yes oh i like it i i went on a journey last week about a week and a half ago went on a trip and on my way up north i listened to rachel cusk's new book second place and on my way back home, I listened to uh, Alex Michelangelides' um, Silent Patient. Oh, yeah. Have you read that one, Jesse? You mm-hmm. have? Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think about it? Um, I enjoyed that one. Did I had you? low expectations, yes. as with many of these uh, pulpy thrillers. Yes. 
um, found it to be engrossing and entertaining all the way up to the end, and the twist at the end got me. Yeah. I did not there see is... that coming, although once it did, <laughs> I was like, ah, I should have seen that. But um, I was, I'm always impressed when there's a twist that actually surprises me yeah. at the end. Um, I thought it was pretty good. What did you think? Well, yeah, well, both of these, um, these novels could be more different at polar kind of extremes as far as writing style mm-hmm. and... Um, so I, 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 I'm not going to compare them necessarily, although both of them had these themes of um, art, art uh, there, there's an artist, you know, and sort of the, and, and there, in The Silent Patient, of course, there is a, psych, a psychoanalyst uh, character who is um, kind of moving through the, the story in connection with this uh, woman who's an artist, and um, there's th- these themes of kind of the muse and the male gaze, and that's mm-hmm. I'm going to start kind of bringing that up as I go into the second place by uh, Ra- Rachel Cusk. Um, but I, I actually ended up getting s- pretty angry at I didn't love it at, at all. I mean, I was just wanting that. I just wanted the mystery, you know, of it, and I didn't guess what at the end, but. Um, was not I just didn't really like the um I guess the voice of the writer and then a, a lot about really um I would say very traditional tropes around um a women as a, a woman as an artist and um and then also the idea of male gaze so I I didn't love it actually um but it, I wanted to bring it up just because there were these kind of like bookends. There was the silent patient coming home. There was Rachel Cuss going forward. Mm. And I'll be able to bring that one up as well. Um, let's see. Anything else on that list? Has anyone read Entangled Life by Sheldrake at all? No, but Any? that one is. Have you read that one? I, I haven't finished uh-huh. it. I've, I've picked have, it up. And have you? It. Yeah. yeah. And I've had some excellent conversations in oh, the bookstore. Oh, it looks amazing. Around yeah. it. Um, he, he, both uh, Merlin Sheldrake and his father, mm-hmm. whose name I'm not going to recall right here, uh, they are both mycologists who have been on the forefront of research into the interconnectedness of living beings through uh, fungus and other mycologies. And and it's just it's fascinating. It, it's the sort of science book that has a lot of uh, excellent research in it, but mm-hmm. it's not so heavy that that it feels like you're reading academia. It's accessible to the layperson. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah. The uh, one other on this list yeah. that I'd love mm-hmm. to bring up is uh, new this week or last week. It's called The Anthropocene Reviewed mm-hmm. by John, John Green. Green yeah. John Green is best known for his uh, young adult fiction, Waiting for Alaska, The Fault in Our Stars. Um, yeah, he's had all sorts that have been uh, really popular, successful, have touched a lot of lives. And uh, this book follows a podcast series that he's made over the last few years uh, in which he reviews different parts of the human-centered planet on a five-star scale. It's uh, great fun to listen to. He reads it. They're quirky, uh, touching little essays, and he usually pairs them up in kind of surprising ways. So you'll have uh, the game of rock, paper, scissors in the same episode as uh, cholera outbreaks. <laughs> and and uh, he, he, he is relatively objective for being a, a, for being a reviewer. You can kind of come away from the end of his review and wherever it ranks on the five stars 
uh, with some understanding for how he got there. And and the book contains uh, many of those essays that were read on the podcast, as well as a few extras. Uh, they're quick reads. They're delightful. It makes you, yeah, it makes you look at the world that humans mm-hmm. have built around us and, and it gives you permission to have uh, opinions over every little thing, hmm. um, which is which is a fun way to view things. Had you listened to the podcast at all, Sam, before this? I have. I've listened this, to the podcast yeah. quite a bit. And and I had a moment of being like, well, I've listened to the show. I don't need to buy right. the book. And then he made a he made an episode, which convinced me thoroughly that the book is a <laughs> is is something that you should hold. Also, so yeah, I, I actually really loved Fault in Our Stars. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. and just his young adult um, prose, and yeah. and so it's exciting to me when uh, authors really jump into different genres, and they're not going to get stuck, you know, mm-hmm. in in one and and they kind of unexpectedly take you to their other interests, so to speak, you know. Um, So, yeah, that one's actually number one right now. Yes, it is. On hardcover, nonfiction, bestsellers. Jesse, were you going to say something? Yeah, if I could jump in with one more on the nonfiction list. I have not uh, read this one yet, but I'm very, very excited to read sometime. It's called Finding the Mother Tree Mm. by Suzanne Simard. Simard. Um, this, this sounds amazing. I caught a few minutes of her interview on NPR uh, maybe a month ago. I think it was, um, Fresh Air maybe interviewed her. Um, she is, Suzanne Simard is a pioneer on the frontier of plant communication and intelligence. Um, this first book brings us into the intimate world of trees, um, uh, they're not simply a source of timber or pulp, but they're complicated, inter- interdependent circles of life. Forests are social, cooperative creatures connected through underground networks by which the trees communicate their vitality and vulnerabilities um, with communal lives uh, not that different from our own. This book sounds so fascinating and interesting. It's a, it's a topic that... Um, science is is just starting to to look at and understand a little bit the mycological um the networks under underground where you know you see you see a mushroom or Mm -hmm. um you know a plant above ground and that is just the tip of the proverbial iceberg it is there's so much going on underground um with their their um nets of um of roots and mycelium anyway finding the mother tree um it sounds amazing and the the two people i've talked to that have read it said it was phenomenal too so um, if you know somebody that liked the secret life of trees by uh, mm-hmm. peter volubin yes I saying that right uh-huh. yes um there have been a few a few books about trees in the past few years but i think that i can safely recommend finding the mother tree by yeah. suzanne simard Including the Overstory, which and of the Overstory, right, is still right. on the bestseller yeah. l- of yeah. trade fiction. I think it's number five or six, yeah. and it just keeps on clicking, yeah. just keeps on ticking there. Um, one book, you know, years ago, a friend of mine called me up on the phone literally and said, "You need to read The Boys in the Boat" by Dan Brown. Mm. Daniel Brown and you know I and she was telling me about the story and um, you know the story of the um, a group of um, you know rowers who are out of um, Washington kind of like the the I would say the um, 
forests or, or rural Ros- Washington, really, and they were all at um, the university there. And they were on the rowing team in, let's see, the Olympics, Berlin Olympics were 1936, I think it was. They were the underdog, you know, with all of these kind of Ivy League um, rowing teams. And basically, you're getting the story of each one of these um, rowers who, um, you know, kind of their backstory. And they end up winning the the 36 Olympics as the, you know, the, the rowing team, uh, the Olympic rowing team. And it's just this beautiful kind of underdog story. And it's gripping and it reads like fiction. And there's also this poetic, um, every single chapter starts with the, the, uh, the man who was actually building the boat, this kind of art of the boat, the crafting of a boat. So you get these kind of poetic um, little vignettes about um, actually building the boat for these um, this rowing team. And so Daniel uh, Brown has actually come out with a new book, and it is on the hardcover nonfiction bestseller list is number 15. And this one, I haven't read it yet, but a gripping World War II saga of patriotism highlighting the contributions and sacrifices that Japanese immigrants and their American-born children made for the sake of the nation. And if you liked Boys in the Boat, I'd say, you know, come find a copy of this and and read it just because he he tells he does his research he's thorough but then he'll tell it like the like like a story mm-hmm. and so it, it you know whatever he sets his mind to it's gripping and exciting and and great so okay anything else my friends jump out at you there if not we can kind of start a little round table conversation um, about what we're excited about. Um, Jesse, can we start over there with you? And then we'll head to Sam after that. Sure. So I read a couple really good books this month. Um, the first one I'll talk about is um, is the most recent uh, book by Catelyn Moran. Now, her name is spelled like Caitlin, but she pronounces it Catelyn. Um, it is called More Than a Woman. She previously wrote um, her hilarious How to Be a Woman um, and uh, uh, Morana Festo, also a group of or a collection of essays. Um, so she in How to Be a Woman, she writes about um, what it's like. Uh, she's, she's British and she grew up. She got a job in, in her teens uh, that became her career of um, being a, a music writer for, I forget the name of the magazine, the British uh, s- sort of spin magazine. Um, so she had a pretty wild youth running around, um, going to concerts and backstage with bands to, uh, for, you know, to interview for articles. Anyway, she writes about what it, what it's like um, being a young woman and trying to, to, um, to make yourself and create yourself and deal um, with the world. And she is hilarious, I have to say. Her um, her, femi- her her particular brand of feminism is um, inclusive and warm and based on just love of of everyone equally. Um, she's uh, she's extremely wise. Even even when she was much younger, her writing I thought was very wise for a young person. Her um, books are salty. There, there's a little <laughs> spicy, definitely some spicy language. But um, her, her honesty and her wit 
um, is just a really, just a really delightful, uh, she's a delightful reader, uh, writer to read. I kind of feel like she's one of those books where you, you, you open it and you start the first page and the book just kind of reads itself. It's hmm. just really effortless and joyful. So um, more than a woman, um, one of one of the so she's writing now uh, from middle age so uh her her previous books sort of um cover her teens and 20s and 30s and now she is 45 years old and she's writing about um uh, about what you know what this stage of life is like it, the the book opens with her um having a conversation with her old her her older self like like her uh, senior citizen self coming back to tell her um, she's like, you're, you know, get ready. You, th you think things are about about to get easy now, but actually now things are really going to get interesting. Like, yeah, she's like, what do you mean? My kids are teenagers are about out of the house. I should be, you know, should be ready to, to kick up my feet and, and take it easy. And her older self is like, ha, you think you are now um, you are now the, the go to person for everyone in your life that has a problem. You have to you're gonna <laughs> have to not only solve your own life problems, but solve everyone else's problems. It's a pretty hilarious conversation. One of my favorite chapters deals with her 14 year old daughter getting um, ha dealing with sort of body dysmorphia. She's getting harassed at school for not being pretty, not being popular. And um, the young woman comes home one day just convinced that she's ugly and that mm -hmm. that's all that matters and that she's she gets really depressed and um her mom you know her mom's like of course you know of course you're not ugly dear you know uh you're you're beautiful but how do you really tell a young woman how to how how to to find that um find that sense of self themselves in a healthy way and so she writes about beauty being in the eye of the beholder and her prescription for her daughter is to, to become the beholder of beauty um, stop trying to be anything stop trying to show yourself as anything just stop all of that and start collecting what you think is beautiful and they they started with her bedroom wall they she said cut out pictures and hang them up pictures of anything people authors art um you know beautiful photographs co a color an outfit whatever just find the things that spark joy in you and and let's start to collect that until you have a sense of your own aesthetic and so i believe this process seems like it took months and months and months and the the daughter slowly started to respond to that and then once you reach a point um, of only focusing on what brings you joy to behold. Um, it is a spell that sets you free. You are not the beauty. You are the beholder, she says. Not, not to be beautiful, but to see it and to, and to uh, acknowledge it. You're the one that gets to point at beauty, define it, enjoy it. Decide what is Deciding what is beautiful gives you power. And once you realize you are the beholder, then the whole power structure of beauty dissolves because you decide what is beautiful. Mm. Um, the, the chapter, uh, her writing, of course, does a much better job of um, explaining this, but I thought that that was so simple and yet yeah. so profound. It's mm. just... That's it's gorgeous just advice. Such a, a for a young, yeah, a it's young woman. such a treacherous 
trap um the the being feeling like you have to be physically attractive to other people when wearing makeup or dressing up isn't um it's not anti-feminist it's not unfeminist at all if you're doing it because that is what you find beautiful and you're doing it for yourself um i thought that i thought that that was particularly lovely another chapter that i thought was hugely important was um, in response to all of her writing about women and feminism um, what about the men and how men are kind of being left behind in in this um you know as society and as we kind of grow and um, achieve achieve a sort of equality um, a, a lot of a lot of men are, are being left behind and women haven't created this problem. It's not feminism's fault. It's the patriarchy and and toxic masculinity that's hurting all of us. Um, and there's just as many horrible women as men. She acknowledges many, <laughs> many times. Um, but um, men suffer from gender presumptions, too, and and often suffer from not having the kind of support and networks that women have created for ourselves um, among each other. And um, her advice, uh, men need to be more like a woman was what she <laughs> <laughs> more, more like, like a woman, woman right? <laughs> so um, the, the chapter is is very this is very well done and um, not, um, you know, not a not a knee jerk or um, um, uh, anyway, she slapstick yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, she she explains that all in a really compassionate and um, and loving loving way, and encourages us to reject the stale, confining old ideas that are that are hurting all of us, um, uh, not just women. Uh, so I I really I'm really dig Catelyn Moran and highly recommend more than a woman her her most recent uh, offering. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah. I I really actually did really appreciate what you were saying about you know this advice that you can give, especially with social media. You know the 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 kids are really suffering from that. What is beauty or, or what is beautiful? You know on a day to day basis on a minute to minute basis on that comparison yeah and uh yeah the perfection the ideal is such a tiny tiny sliver on the spectrum of of what we all look like it's just it's just so unhealthy and 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 just really really sad it's worse much worse now than when i was young Mm -hmm. but this idea that you are nursing or nurturing what you think is beautiful Mm -hmm. and getting that advice at a very young age to understand that it is in the eye of the beholder. Of course, we have all these collective trends that we think are beautiful Mm -hmm. and what are not beautiful, but um, to nurse that very, very, very early, you know, I think is beautiful. I think it's, it's revolutionary really. Yeah, curate, curate your own, your own aesthetic in a very intentional way. And mm-hmm. I think that's really happening with our young folk as well. I think they are finding, they're coming out of the bounds of that. So. Sam, what are you thinking over there? And wha- yeah. wha- what do you have for us? I hope, uh, yeah, I hope you're right. And I think part of what will get us there yeah. is by more media, by people who don't fit into that exactly. narrow piece of the spectrum. Um, and, and the more books like this one that is in front of you and the more yeah. books that... Uh, that describe and tell stories about beauty that is unlike what has what has been 
beautiful mm -hmm. in our country or in the Western world for the last 50, 100 years. I think I think that is the most profound way to utilize the democrat democratization of art. <laughs> to, exactly. You know, the art is so much more accessible to make. Everyone's everyone's creating yeah. their own public persona, and the more that we encourage folks to make beautiful lives that look different from the other ones, yeah. do their thing. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> What do you have for us over there? Anything you want to share in this moment? Yeah, What's I mean, next? I guess it's a yeah. it's a pretty good yeah, segue. Uh, do we have segue a segue going on? Into another little book I brought. It's called Time is the Thing a Body Moves Through. Um, it's a book-length essay by an author named T. Fleischman. Um, and it is it is it's fascinating. It's kind of a deconstructed memoir that relies on visual art to tell its stories. Um, throughout it, T. Fleischman is writing against uh, and writing with and against Felix Gonzalez Torres's artworks. Uh, Felix Gonzalez Torres was a gay man who worked in the 80s um, on on some fairly well-known and uh, immersive pieces of art. One of the ones that he's best known for is always displayed as a pile of uh, shrink-wrapped candies in the corner of a gallery. And the instructions on the piece are that any viewer should walk up to the pile of candy, select a piece, and take it away and eat it. Um, and the metaphor in the piece is that is that pile of candy represents a former lover of of the artist, and uh, and to participate in it is to aid in uh, reducing the size of this lover's body. This 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 is someone who we lost to AIDS. And uh, Gonzalez Torres uses uses that participation, uses that tension between art and consumer, between display and uh, and and taste, uh, in a way that really realizes and reifies um, the people he knew who died of AIDS. Um, and and T. Fleischman is living today in a very kind of different world, but in many ways. The same world that uh, that that living in communities that are not cared for by the government, uh, having to make art to tell our own stories instead of having that attention automatically given to us, um, and it's just it's it's kind of a textbook on how to live an anti-capitalist pro-art life. Um, it's a mix of memoir and more stream of consciousness uh, poetry and memory. And it all reads together um, in a really concise and surprising and uh, insightful little book. I've read it a few times in just the last couple of weeks, and I keep finding something new. Mm. Um, and, and once again, it's a, it's a life that is not perfect, but is, is creating alternate standards and, uh, and infrastructure for, for beautiful things and beautiful experiences. So that's time is the thing a body moves through. T. Fleischman wrote that, um, and they've also contributed to other other lit fic magazines, and um, they're a professor too. And it's yeah, it's very timely and very inspiring work. And you can put that in your back pocket. Yeah, I have. or your side pocket, or right. Yeah, and the maybe the a very big front pocket. Sure. Yeah, maybe the oh. uh, the or pouch on a. Under uh, your hat, a hoodie. Yep, yeah, that's a good place a for it. Kangaroo yeah. nest, maybe. Yeah, like tuck right it there in your in boots back. and walk with it. Boots. That's right. <laughs> I actually really love that those sizes. Yeah, um, me too. You just you just slip in, slip them in, and put them in your bag or whatever. 
It's funny, you know, it seems like there's this little kind of art theme emerging. There um, is. Yeah. I, I always like when some um, random theme, something we kind of all synergize to do by preparing today, and then suddenly things start to kind of bubble up mm-hmm. from that kind of collective psyche that we we sort of put together coming coming here. Um, I wanted to actually talk about that. So I went down, I went up north uh, and listened to Rachel Cusk's Second Place, her new novel, uh, and was really, I, I, I didn't know when I picked it up, actually, that it is lightly informed by a book called Lorenzo in Taos, D.H. Lawrence and Mabel Dodge Lujan, mm written actually by Mabel Dodge Lujan, but it's basically a series of letters between Mabel Dodge and uh, D.H. Lawrence. Now, Mabel Dodge was turn of the century kind of socialite, born in the East and did a lot of traveling to Europe and beyond and was kind of, you know, one of those uh, folks that rose up as a salon, as a kind of a salon, um, a leader. She was someone that was always bringing these, in, you know, kind of literary and artistic salons together. Well, she decided, um, after I think right after World War One, that she was going to move to New Mexico, which she did. Uh, started out in in Santa Fe, and then actually th- found Santa Fe to be too big, <laughs> and so moved to Taos. And ended up kind of creating what you might even call a sort of um, southwestern uh, turn-of-the-century salon where she she started inviting uh, artists and writers from all over the country and really the world. Uh, she was the one that invited George O'Keefe, of course, to um, New Mexico initially, and that's where George O'Keefe actually stayed on her first foray down in New Mexico. She invited Jung, C.G. Jung. She um, invited uh, all sorts of um, known and lesser-known artists and writers. But one of the uh, writers, of course, that she thought was kind of a coup to get at the time was D.H. Lawrence. Have you all read anything by D.H. Lawrence? Has that ever been? Did you go through a phase at all? Mm. I read Lady Chatterley's Lover when yeah. I was seventeen. Pretty young, 18. exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's when you go through. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. That's all, though. Have you I've read, read some? I've yeah. read that. I've read um, the the one with the elephant. Um, it's it's a big. Mm. I'll have to double check on that. Okay, one. double check on the title. I kind of went through a phase, and I I actually ended up he was he ended up being buried in Taos, and yeah. you have to go through a little forest to find a little shrine <laughs> that is basically his remains in the cement huh. that is the shrine huh. in Taos Whoa. at the little ranch that he ended up buying. So he did come to Taos at the behest of. And and really the kind of magnetism of Mabel Dodge, wow. who, who really saw this as a coup. Like, if I can get Lawrence, you know, this is going to be great. Right. Uh, but the this book, Lorenzo and Taos, is, is actually, um, you know, kind of full of this, here's Mabel Dodge thinking, I'm, I'm inviting the ultimate writer, the ultimate artist, you know, to our 
our humble abode, so to speak. And so in some ways, her um, viewing him from a kind of mytho, you know, he was he was mythologized in her mind. Right. And then this book kind of descends into their tension. And when when um, he sort of became more real to her. And so throughout, um, you you know, the letters, you start you start to see the relationship um, emerge and 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 really kind of exciting in some ways to see him become just the man that he is right the man that he was so did we get a a name on that was that no no okay (laughs) that's all right um i i read all sorts like women in love and and went kind of went through a definitely went through a a dh lawrence phase i think that's why i ended up in taos Mm -hmm. although there were other reasons i ended up in taos for a little while, but what's interesting with Cusk, she did really, I mean, it's a series, it's it's definitely written in letter form. There is, the protagonist is a, a middle-aged woman, and there is um, a middle-aged to even older age uh, artist who she sees his work in Paris when she's quite young. And then by the time she hits kind of around her uh, 60s, 50s, 60s, she invites him to stay in what she calls her second place. Hmm. And of course, there's a double entendre there with second place also being sort of where she rendered herself in his world, in his life, in the eyes of him as someone who is second place. And so again, you know, Rachel Cusk does this incredibly smart writing, uh, and and she just walks that line uh, between. There's there's no demonization in this book whatsoever, but she really um, breaks down this um, kind of like the the machinations between the artist and the and really the muse, or the artist and the art lover. And it, yes, mm. it is kind of like, um, there is some gender in that in the sense that historically, you know, you kind of had the great artist in some ways as the man, you know, and then the woman as the muse, so to speak. Uh, but she goes in and really, um, the, the woman wants him to, she invites him to their place, just as Mabel Dodge did with um, Deja Lawrence uh, all those years ago in Taos. And, um, and then the story just unfolds between their relationship and um, Cusk is so um, whip smart about what's going on in that relationship, what's going on in that kind of uh, that mythology in a way between the artist and the art lover, uh, really the woman and the man. And um, so I was very pleased very, yeah. very pleased with this book, uh, o- mostly because she can get you right there, right there in the middle of it, and you're not le- leaning anywhere toward any kind of, you know, demonization. And if someone can take me all the way through that kind of thing, those complexities without having me go into that, you know, putting anyone in, in that role, it's it's quite extraordinary. Um, she's also very good. The, um, the main protagonist has a daughter who is 19, 20 uh, years old, and there's some beautiful writing about their relationship in this. And I know mm-hmm. that she does have children in real life, but um, 
they end up going for a swim together. And it's this beautiful rendition of them kind of looking at each other's bodies, being now 19 and 20, and then her being like 55, 60. Mm. And um, just the, the admiration, and even of the, the daughter looking at her mother's body. It, it was it's beautiful. Mm. Um, anyway, that is second place, Rachel Cusk. Light, you know, it's a, a light rendering of Lorenzo and Paris, Mabel Dodge Lujan. Really great to read them together. Lorenzo and Taos. Did I say Lorenzo and Paris? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do have I, Paris on the mind. How did you draw that connection, Sherry? Between these two? That's right. They tell you at the end. Oh, uh, that's cool. Uh-huh. I know. And I was like, oh my goodness, because. I was obsessed with Mabel Dodge Lujan. I mean, she's just this funny little character. Right. And, you know, but I went down and she, you can still stay at her place. Huh. I went down on my own little writing retreat and stayed in one of the little rooms. And they have these beautiful, like, adobe uh, fireplaces. Yeah. And, um, and I like to go sniffing out that kind of history. And so if you can stay where that all happened, you know, and kind of get the big sniff of that Whatever that was going on at that time, can you imagine with George O'Keefe down there, a little bit of D.H. Lawrence sprinkled in, uh, Mary Austin. I mean, there's all sorts of people that were down there, and she was just kind of orchestrating it. You know, there was this kind of grand orchestrating. She had this beautiful collective kitchen that, you know, I'm sure lots of things were being made, but... Mm. Anyway, that we need, was. We yeah. need some modern day patrons of the arts. Yes. We'll bring <laughs> a bunch of smart <laughs> folks together somewhere wild. And maybe bring those old uh, uh, salons back yeah. to life. I love, yeah, I love that. that you know? Idea. Yeah, because she was kind of at the height of when the, um, the host, the salon host, had their own little bit of celebrity right. because of who they collected. Because mm. I think that's. That's mm-hmm. it right there. It's sort of like you're collecting people in a way, you know. Right. Um, but she had her own money, you know. So anyway, I don't want to take up. I want us all to talk about one more book. So we're rounding the corner here a little bit. Jesse, let's um, hear from you. I just had the great pleasure of reading a book my mom has been uh, asking me to read for many years. This book was written in 1920. It is called uh, Kristen Laverne's Daughter. Part one, The Wreath. Um, this book is the first in a trilogy by Sigrid Unset. Uh, she was a Norwegian writer. She actually won the um, she actually won the, the Nobel Prize in literature for this trilogy. And um, this is a story of a young girl growing up in uh, the Middle Ages in Norway, 14th century Norway. Um, her father is um, a wealthy basically uh well-to-do farm uh farmer and landowner and um she grows up um in in the in rural norway and it is a wonderful story there's so there's a, a long very very complicated involved romance going on and there's um the the whole the family's story it is um it is so beautifully written and i'm really impressed when um you know of course this is translated from the from the norwegian the translator's name is tina nunnally and i believe that 
um, if you're going to search out this book, which I hope you do, Kristen Laverin's daughter, book one, The Wreath, uh, definitely search out this translation by Tina Nunnally. The, um, the writing is just lyrical and, and beautiful while being also being a very, um, you know, straightforward. It's not pretentious or fancy, um, but just an exquisite rendering of, of everyday life in, um, in the, in the middle ages in Norway. This is my heritage a little bit. My, that side of my mom's side of the family is Scandinavian and, um, I found it to be really, really beautiful and excited to read books two and three. So highly recommend Kristen Laverin's Daughter, The mm. Wreath by Sigrid Unset. Um, the library does not own a copy of this yet, but if anybody wants to read it, please request it and I will buy it for <laughs> the collection in a hurry. Um, highly, highly recommend. Did you tell your mom how much you liked it? Yes, yes. We had a long conversation about it this Good. weekend. I love she the said, cover. Why did yeah. it take so long? Yeah. <laughs> I myself have Scandinavian roots out of Sweden. Do you have oh, any Scandinavian yeah. roots, Sam? Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sam, I'm going to throw it the time over your sure, way. Sure, I'll go quickly. Yeah. Um, a favorite novel of mine from last year is finally out in paperback. It's called The Death of Vivek Oji by Akweki Emezi. Uh, they're another Nigerian author, Nigerian-American. I started with uh, Adichie, and here we are in another brilliant Nigerian mind who's writing today. Uh, this is a great novel about gender and youth. In It's set in Nigeria. Um, it is like their other books, weird, and uh, at times you feel as if you might be losing the thread of the plot, um, and quickly in the next few pages you realize that that was probably intentional too. Um, so the the uh, paperback of this book, The Death of Vivek Oji, coincides with their first memoir, um, which was published by Riverhead Books. And the title of that is... I've lost it. Uh, the title of that is Dear Sentherin, a Black Spirit Memoir. So I'm really looking forward to reading um, a piece of nonfiction from them. They have a, a brilliant mind for creating metaphors mm. around uh, the the weird unseen parts of our daily life and identities. And so I'll be excited to see how, how they write in nonfiction. I like that word weird, you know, <laughs> it's sort of old school. Yeah. And then it kind of went through uh, maybe a weird phase, <laughs> but it's sort of, back yeah i think that word weird is back it's coming back well and i'm i'm looking for weird things yeah in life, you yeah know? i think I, it's yeah. really coming yeah. coming I want back a book that keeps surprising me and i think that's weird <laughs> um i actually just want to make sure that i do mention because i said that i would mention this uh, desert chrome by Catherine wilder water a woman and wild horses in the west that we we did we had a conversation with her last thursday a virtual event reading with her uh, this is a story a memoir um, slash kind of creative nonfiction piece full-length book written by Tori or uh, published by Tori House Press about uh, Kat Wilder who has a connection to um, the Mustangs that are out here the wild Mustangs and she uses the metaphor of the Mustang to weave through her own story. And it's interesting kind of thinking of, um, thinking about 
the notes on grief. Mm. And this is definitely a book about grief. And what I found so beautiful um, in the, the sort of the heart of this book is um, the family structures that are in these wild horses. And when they go and try and round them up for these programs of trying to know what to do with these Mustangs, um, the family um, the, the family structure gets uh, destroyed. And, you know, so uh, she weaves this beautiful tale of her own, um, her, her children were actually taken away from her at a pretty early age. And how she's kind of bringing those two together and kind of, um, the, it's definitely an evolutionary story where she does come to terms with her grief. And she ends up going, um, she ends up leaving a lot, not staying a lot. And I loved, finally, in the last paragraph of her book, she says, yes, she says, maybe I have learned how to stay for a while. It's as simple as one day at a time. Yet staying may, may be like waiting. And life isn't about waiting. It isn't even about hurting. It's about living. Moving from one moment to the next as grace, gracefully as possible, the way, old, the way wild animals do. If we're not graceful enough, life is about learning to become more so, to make better choices, to be of service, to follow the guidance of spirit, to love and to trust and to see that there is an ocean out there that reflects the sky. In it, we are drops or stars. And some of us are wild horses. Mm. So if you have any kind Lovely of horse connection at all, Desert Chrome, Water, A Woman, and Wild Horses in the West, Catherine Wilder. Well, thank you, my friends. We have actually done an, an hour. I can't believe how fast it goes. Mm. It's crazy. I just want to remind the listeners out there that we are Radio Book Club coming to you every first Monday of the month at 5 o'clock. And as we as we have these, this thing archived, um, so how do you find us? Because there's a million books that we just talked about, and you probably didn't write them all down. So there's a two-week archive immediately available on kzmu.org. Go to the program tab, program schedule, and you'll see it. There becomes a forever ar archive available on the Friday afternoon after the show, kzmu.org, news, public affairs tab, and then go to radio book club. Now, of course, you can s listen on uh, the podcast uh, of platform of your choice, Apple, Spotify, go to Public Affairs on KZMU and subscribe, and you can listen that way as well. Now, our lists do show up um, at the bookstore and at the library. Jesse, that list comes in on your website, right? Yes, yes, yeah. you can find it on the library's website. Go to Quick Links um, and find a good book. Cool. And there will be a link there. And then our list comes up on bookshop.org. Just go to Back of Beyond Books and you'll see um, our list, our book list there. So once again, thanks, y'all. That was great. And um, we are out of here. Good night. Take care thanks. and good night.